Did you ever have a parakeet? How many, people, how many of you ever had a parakeet? I had a parakeet as a kid. And, uh, of course, you, parakeet, you've got to keep it caged, right? So we kept that thing caged. And one of my jobs as a young guy is I had to clean out the parakeet cage. So if you think about that, well, what you have to do with the parakeet is you've got to reach in the cage, get him kind of cornered, and then you've got to get a really good grasp on him. Because if you don't hold him tightly in your hand, he's going to take off. Now, you know, they can escape from your hand, be in the house, or they can be like the one where we had, the door got open and he was gone, and he was escaped never to be seen again. You know, many of our worldly concerns are a lot like, a lot like that. The stuff we worry about, the things that we're anxious about. What we do is we really keep a really tight grip on those things. Like the parakeet. Thinking that, you know, I, I can, in myself, I can control this. I can manage this. And, you know, even if it's fear of just the thought of letting those things go, the worry, you know, it's kind of mortifying when you think about what can happen. Now, you see up here, this is a series we're in. It's just a short series. But I just think about, really, if, if, if it weren't for the way the trust in the middle works out, we'd flip exhaustion down to the bottom. Because what happens is, for many of us, really most of you sitting in here this morning, and me, we have worry in our life, we have doubt in our life, we have despair oftentimes, we feel anxiety, and in the end product of that is we just become physically and mentally exhausted from taking on all those other things. But listen to some promises that God has given us. Now, these are verses that I would encourage you to write down. I'm just going to give you the verse number, but if you're not watching, on, if you're not on version or not going to go back and, and look at the electronic copies and, and, re, and reel them back in, just write these verses down because these are promises that God has given us. Listen to them. Here's 1 Peter, the 5th chapter, verse 6. 1 Peter, 5th chapter, verse 6. It says this, Humble yourself, so it deals with our attitude to start with. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast your anxiety on him because he cares for you. In Philippians, the fourth chapter and the sixth verse, it says this. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition, now catch this, with thanksgiving, we don't get to just go and moan, but we're also supposed to take a minute and talk about with God about the things that we're thankful for. With thanksgiving, then present your request to God. In Psalms 34, it says this, the righteous, and oh, by the way, if you're a believer, you're righteous. I mean, that almost sounds like a, a word we'd use that's kind of, I don't know, haughty or proud or something. But Scripture says if we're a believer... We're righteous, not because of who we are. We're righteous because of our position in Christ. So we're the righteous. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them 
from all their troubles. Now, Scripture seems plain because, believe me, there's a whole lot more places that you could find things that amplify this idea. But in Scripture, you go through and you find those places, and it's, it's also written by many uh, godly inspired authors throughout the Bible. Because what it does, it reminds us that our anxiety, our fear, our doubt, that we can take that to the Lord because it says that God, in those scriptures we just read, they're up there, that God cares for us, that God hears us, and that he will deliver us. Okay, let me say it again. He cares for us, he hears us, and he will deliver us. So I want to do, I want to take a, a few, I've been accused of being a storyteller, I fess up, I'm, I'm that guy. But I want to relate to you a story that, that uh, some of our small group has heard parts of, but it was a real learning experience for Karen and I. Now, here's the setting. Karen and I were young married, so you know it's been a day or two. We were young marrieds in, in my hometown of Baxter Springs. Now our kids were, uh, were, we had the oldest two, Brady and Carrie, they were both in school. Dallas is getting ready to go to school, so that's kind of the age, the window, if you see, as far as the setting is concerned. Now, in that circumstance, I was working shift work. A lot of you whine about your shift, I do, because for the first seven years we were married, I worked evenings. What a wonderful thing for a family. I'm working evening shift. And oh, by the way, I didn't have weekends off. I'd be off like Monday and Tuesday or Tuesday and Wednesday, whatever those things were. So not an ideal situation to be off and available to your family. When they were in school, I was at work. When I was at work, they were, you know, the whole nine yards. You just We saw each other like ships in the night. So in our small group that we were part of at the time, what I would do is uh, work in evenings, I would take my supper hour, and we were in a small town, so it would be five, seven, eight minutes maybe to where, who, whose house we were meeting at. And Karen would fix my supper. She'd take it to the small group meeting. I'd go to the small group meeting and be at least participate in that part that I could. Well, on this particular night, we decided that we wanted to pray about our circumstance. Karen and I were at a point that we thought, something's got to change. We can't do this forever. So what we did is we, that night in our group, we decided we were going to pray about that. And it was an intense prayer. It was a prayer that we said that, that if, it need, if we needed to go someplace else or do something different, that we would be willing to do what God would tell us and how he would lead us. And that because I wanted to be able to participate more in my kid's life, and I needed to be on a day shift in order to do it. Now, to the point that relocating if necessary, if we needed to move, something different, something had to change. But where I was at was essentially all people senior to me. I'm a young guy. And they were all senior to me, so I knew I was going to be stuck behind them forever. There wasn't much opportunity where we were. So let me just kind of unfold this scenario that happened. So this is 8 o'clock at night on a weeknight. And we're in a small group, and we've, we've gone through this prayer time, a very intense prayer. And so I go to work then. I go back to work, go home, get some rest. I go to work at 3 o'clock the next day, okay, not even 24 hours after we'd prayed about this. And so I, I walk in, and the big boss, we had a regional center there, so not the people I normally work with, but the big boss in a corner office, he sees me come in, he motions me over to his office. I thought, oh, this can't be good. 
So he, may, he has me come over and he said, Tom, I've heard that you're willing to relocate. And I, you know, I'm kind of going, okay, yeah, here it is. I said, yes, sir, within certain limits, yes, sir, I, I'm, I'm ready to do that. And he said, well, here's what I want you to do. He said, I want you to go home, don't work your shift, I'll cover it with your guys. Go home, get your stuff, be in Springfield, Missouri tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock, and oh, by the way, if they like you, you're staying. Well, this is happening pretty fast. So what I want to do is I want to dissect this story for you because all of a sudden I'm talking about a new job on day shift with weekends off but in a new town. So I want to dissect this story because what happens in this story is it's a great picture, a, very, a great learning thing because what it talks about, it talks about one, it talks about commitment. And then we see the emotions that are involved in all these things that happen that we're talking about today and how they unfolded. So Karen and I had talked about this process before this happened, about how things had to change. We had griped about it, moaned about it. Everything you can think of had, crossed, had come out of our mouth and we had talked about because we knew something had to change. We had prayed about this as well, but finally came that moment of truth when we really stepped up and said, Lord, whatever it is you want us to do in, in, our, li in our lives, that we were willing to do that for the change. See, understand, we'd be leaving the things that were familiar to us. We'd be leaving the fact that our, our families were within literally minutes of us, which was, for those of you raising young ones, you know how nice it is to have grandparents down the street. So we're leaving that security. We're leaving many friendships we'd developed through the time, and we're leaving, leaving a church where we were plugged in. And it was a very dynamic church in those days. We were plugged into that church body. But see, I've already described this prayer as being one of intensity. I'd say perhaps even a desperate prayer. Have you had desperate prayers before? But sometimes it's those desperate prayers. It reflected our willingness to give God control of what was going to go on and ask him literally we're not talking about it anymore we're willing to do it we want you to direct us and Lord we ask you to find favor on this request because really we thought what we were asking were for the good and proper reasons so you're going to see three steps I'm going to paint for you today. I'd encourage you to take a note or at least go back and try to find them on version or whatever. But there's three steps I want to talk about today. The first one is this. Are you really willing, are you really willing to take your care, the anxiety that you might have that you're fighting with, perhaps fear, are you really willing to take that and give it to the Lord? So we had all of those feelings in our first relocation. Now, I'd been other places. I'd been off to college. I'd been to the Army for a while. But for a family, this was our first time to even consider uprooting and leaving everything that was familiar to us. Well, see, in this word picture where we talked about the parakeet, we would face all those things. We would face all those things. And the question was, would we be willing to release that proverbial parakeet and really do what God would ask us. So you'll have to decide that. Do you want to keep a grasp on it? If those are things you fight, if those are things that haunt you, 
you have to decide, are you willing to release your parakeet, that parakeet of fear or whatever it is that has you so bound up? Karen and I had gotten to the place that we were ready to do that, to release it in that step one situation of are you really willing to give your care, your anxiety, your fear? Are you willing to give those decisions to the Lord? So here's step two. Step two is when doubt creeps in. When doubt creeps in. I believe it's a very natural thing, by the way, that even when we make a decision and we pray in good faith about something and we're believers, I believe that it's, it's a pretty natural thing for when we release those things as God directed us that we want to try to figure out how to take them back. How do I go back away? How do, this is the unfamiliar I'm getting ready to go into. How do I come back and how do I go back to the familiarity? I just seem to be more comfortable there. I remember chasing that stinking parakeet all over the house. He'd land on the blinds and he'd land here and I'd, I'd, I'd spend 30 minutes trying to catch him and catch him and capture him and put him back in that cage. And we often do that, don't we? We release, we release, and then whether consciously or subconsciously, we think, I got to get control of this again. I need, to, I need to manage this. I need to get control of it again. I need to get it back where, I, where, I, where I've got some say in this situation. Let's go back to the story. You've heard the old axiom that about people walking into a swinging door. Some of you that have been around a while, you've probably heard that. Well, that's exactly how I felt. I'd been herding 30 Teamsters around the dock for several years, and I was kind of used to that, and it wasn't easy, but I kind of knew what that was. So my first day on the job, I'm the operations manager now, and they're introducing me to the crew. My first day on the job, my first real act of management was to break up a fist fight in the break room between two guys in the break room that were now supposed to be working for me. And I thought, wow, what have I gotten into? And then I'd like to tell you, frankly, after that, that things settled down, but they didn't. The work environment was really complicated, all sorts of ways, especially the people part of it. A little bit like a church, you know, people. You know, we talk about at work, sometimes we'll say it'd be a great place to work for one for all these stinking customers. Well, that's how I felt. I thought, you know, if one for all these people I have to work for, this would be a great job. It's good hours and, you know, get off on the weekends, spend time at the ballpark, whatever the things were. One of the very graphic things I can remember when I was starting, the things were starting to sink in is the guy that I'm replacing as the operations, he's only one year older than me. And I'm standing there talking to him in our little dispatch area. And I look down, and he has a lit cigarette in both hands. <laughs> I'm thinking, man, is this where I'm headed? But it really made me think. And Karen and I talked every night, and she was at home with the kids and working through all the stuff that had to be done with three little ones. And I was in a dank motel room. So step two had crept in. Remember step two? It's when doubt creeps in. I remember clearly expressing to Karen, I said, Karen, I think I have made one big mistake. We, especially me, began to question whether I'd really heard what the Lord had been saying or what he had said. 
Had I gotten too much of me and my desires and our us as a couple, had I got too much of us in that? And, you know, was it, was it really God or was it really me? You know, because here, here comes those doubts. Those same things that happen, that happens in your life, my life. The doubts, the anxiety starts to creep back in. Over the course of several nights, we decided that, well, we would do, we'd been studying about Gideon. We would do what Gideon did, and we'd lay a fleece. Because we really did want what God wants. So we'd lay a fleece, and a fleece, now, don't get me, don't, it's, a fleece is not always the right process to go through in prayer, but it is in certain cases. We felt it was in this case. So in Judges 6, we'll read that together here. In Judges 6, to remind you about what the fleece was. So what God had told Gideon, is he said, Gideon, oh, by the way, you're going to be a mighty warrior, and you're going to go squash the opposition. So this is Gideon after he's been given that by God. He says this, so Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said, Look, I will put a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece only and is dry on the ground underneath it, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you've said. And it was so, when he rose early the next morning and he squeezed the fleece together, he wrung the dew out of the fleece, a whole bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Don't be angry with me. But let me speak to you just once more. Lord, I just, I'm not sure about this, okay? Maybe, I don't know, maybe too much of me, kind of like me. But Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me, but let me speak just once more. Let me test. Let me test you, God. I will pray just one more with the fleece. Let it now be dry only on the fleece, but all the ground under it, there'll be dew. And God did so that night. It was dry on the fleece only, but there was dew on the ground around it. Now, he'd gotten his answer. Even though probably for us we'd go, really, you're going to ask God to, okay, could you be just a little bit clearer? But what, would, but what Karen and I decided to do, we would use a fleece, but we have to decide then what is the fleece. So what we did is the company I worked for had a, what they called a relocation program. And what you could do is you could sell your house on your own if you wanted to, if you thought you could come out better financially, or they would buy it from you at a fair market value. They did an appraisal. Well, what we decided that we would go ahead and take the relocation package. And so what we were doing, we were waiting each day for the offer of what they were going to pay us for a house, for the house we had. Now, our fleece became the offer the company would make for us and this will sound a little silly to you, but think about what Gideon just went through. But what we decided to do, that if this offer comes back in even thousands, when they come back and they tell us what, they want, what they're going to give us for the house, if it comes back in even thousands, we'll understand that that's God's will, we're in his will, and we just need to go right on with the relocation and go through this process. So we're where God wants us to be. But if it comes back odd thousands then we'll understand that we did get too much of us in the decision. We hurried the decision. We didn't listen. We weren't in God's will. And I'd pack up, quit my job, and go back home and find something else to do. Each night, very anxiously, I would tell you, I'd call home and ask Karen if the offer, offer had arrived yet. 
Finally, one, I, one night I called, and she said, yes, I have it. But she hadn't opened the envelope. But she thought, we'll do that together. She opened it while I was on the phone, and there was a silence. And she said, I remember her saying, Tom, is 48,500, is that even or odd? Boy, we were in a quandary then. Our decision had hung on this property, and so we're, we're just thinking, this, well, when, that thing, when we get that offer back, we're going to know what God wants us to do. We're either in his will or we're not in his will, and then we'll know how to move ahead with our life. Had we really followed God's direction? You probably ask yourself that sometime. Had I really am I really following God's direction? Have I done that? Am I operating in his will or am I operating really in my own self and in my own will? Remember step two, right? That's when doubt creeps in. That's where we've been. Well, that's what happened to us. We had prayed earnestly for God's direction for our lives and for the lives of our family. And we'd moved ahead on a seemingly clear answer that we'd received. But then we wondered, I wonder if we heard God right. I would encourage you, by the way, that Sometimes you think, okay, well, this doubt we talk about, I've told you I think it's pretty natural. Maybe it doesn't happen all the time, but I'm t I'm t I think it happens a lot of the time. But I would encourage you that even when there's doubt, there's positive to come from that. Because what happens is if you think about what God wants, with, wants from us most, it's a relationship with him, right? That's what he wants the most from us. So if you think about that, when you're in doubt, I believe, believe me, you have a relationship with him because you're trying to find out Okay, did I listen right? Did I, but what am I supposed to be doing here? So we, we communicate a lot with him. We trust a lot, and by the way, we question a lot when we're in that second step. Now here's step three, and this is when clarity comes, when clarity comes. My guess for many of us that we pray for clarity in these revelations. We'll feel like God wants us to move on something or we're sincerely asking him to and then we, we think we have a direction but then we're looking for clarity to know is this really what God wants in my life? Well, clarity came from me very plainly in our situation. It wasn't a, a, a deep you know, voice, a bold voice. You know, you've heard the actor Earl Jones how he rolls it out. It wasn't a voice like that. But what it was, it was a revelation to me that was more by the Holy Spirit. And this is kind of what it, what it, and I still remember what it sounded like. This is what I felt inside. Well, let me see, Tom. You prayed earnestly with a group of believers. 36 hours later, you're on a new job in a new town on day shift with weekends off for more time with your family, and you're wondering if my hand was in it. Well, you know, when you look at that, you kind of go, pretty obvious, right? But I had to hear that. I had to, uh, the Spirit had to confirm to me that that's, in fact, what happened. See, that was plain to Karen and me now that what we needed to do is we need to move ahead, okay? We had our marching orders. This is what God has planned wasn't very clear from a work, a work environment, but okay, that's what we're supposed to do. It was time for us to get on with life and the one that God was preparing for us. 
Now let's look back at the steps because every one of us in our life faces anxiety, fear, worldly concerns. They may come come to you wrapped up like something different, but when you think about it, all of us face those things. You may be just sitting here this morning and your inside may be full of those kind of feelings. But let's look back at the steps because every one of us does face those things. The big question is, what will I do with the anxiety? What will I do with the fear that I have? There's all this worldly stuff that just has me petrified. What am I going to do with that? And step one, remember, was this. Are you really, and I put the word really in there on purpose, are you really willing to give your care, your anxiety, and your fear to the Lord? Are you really willing to do that? Ask yourself that question. Are you willing today to give your present worries, the anxiousness, that same old thing that has gnawed on you for years and just keeps sticking in your brain, are you willing to give that to the Lord? Are you? The second thing is this, when when doubt creeps in. That was our second step, when doubt creeps in. See, doubt and humanness are going to creep in. We're human beings. It's going to creep in. And it's a rare thing when it's you, like some I've heard preachers say, you know that you know that you know. It's a rare thing that you know that you know that you know. For most of us, some doubt is a natural thing in this process. There's a term called a, a, a that's called a buyer's remorse. Maybe you've heard of that. And that's when you buy a big ticket item, you know, and you, you walk away from it, you've signed, you picked it up, whatever it is you're going to do. And then here's the things that are just, these are the natural things, and usually they happen within 72 hours. Did I really do the right thing? Do I really need that? And can I afford it? That's called buyer's remorse. We make a decision, and you, can, you change that wording around a little bit, but the reality is when we make choices, we still have this stuff that comes back at us, and we start to doubt. It starts creeping in. Understand that doubt is not abnormal. It's not abnormal even in Christian lives. That is a part of who we are. That's part of our physical makeup. But that's when you go back to God's Word. You test the things that you're asking about and you're talking about. You test it against God's Word. You test it against the Holy Scripture. You look at your personal motive. You ask yourself, why? Why why do I want this? Why do I need this? Why is this important to me? And then you assess your attitude. Do I have the right attitude? Remember that first Scripture we read? It said, humble yourself. That's a picture of attitude. And then you think about, if I'm fortunate enough to be in a body of believers, a praying body of believers, then you think, I have brothers and sisters that will pray with me about this that I trust. It's not an information gathering. It's not a gossip session. But I have people who will actually pray with me about this circumstance. And then clarity comes. That was step three, you remember. I'd love to tell you when clarity comes that it'll come to you like trumpets it'll be a whirlwind like it was at Pentecost that when these things come into your life and this clarity creeps in you'll just know that you know that you know but when that clarity comes in 
Chances are it's going to show up in its own time, by the way. Clarity doesn't always show up in our time. Clarity will show up in its time. But what you'll see in clarity is you'll, you'll feel like when you've turned those things over to God and you've gone through this doubt process and tried to find good anchors for it, you're going you're to come to the point that you actually experience a new calm in your life when you know that everything's going to be okay. I'm, I'm solidly anchored. I, 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 I'm, you know, I'm comfortable with the choice. Then there's usually going to be affirmation. Maybe that affirmation will come from other people. Maybe it'll be an affirmation by the circumstances or the fact, again, that maybe that you just have this peace. We talked the other day with somebody, and, I, and they were talking about how they felt about their present circumstance. And, and I, it just reminded me that, that in that circumstance, that person had the peace that passes understanding. That's the kind of clarity we're talking about when you know that you're on the right path, that that's where God directs you. But it will show up in its own time. Now, you aren't alone if you struggle under the weight of those things, under fear and anxiety. I can tell you you're not alone. We've done a couple of polls through the years, and somewhere north of 75% of the people, when we ask them, what is your biggest issue in your life today? It's always fear. Fear and anxiety. It's always the clear winner. It's not even a close second. So we know that we aren't alone in those struggles. And know if you sit here today and those things are on your mind, know you are not alone, that probably most of the people around you have some of the same concerns. Proverbs says it really well. It says this, it says in Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in the heart of a man weighs us down. Okay, we are, we're the man in this case. Anxiety in my heart weighs me down. And then it goes on and said, but a good word makes it glad. Now, in this particular instance, it's really not talking about a good word being God's good word, the Bible. But what it's talking about, it's talking about if we, if we have anxiety, it weighs our heart down. But being around other people that can help lift us up and encourage us and pray for us, it, that makes us glad. It makes it better. Maybe it doesn't go away, but it makes it better. makes it maybe endurable. This is what Romans 8 says. Romans 8, 37. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let me read it again. This is a, this is a great three or four verses. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us, separate you and me, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we indeed are more than conquerors. We don't give ourselves that credit sometimes. We, 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 we go through life, we limp through life almost more like the conquered than the conquerors. But Scripture says there isn't anything that's going to separate us from the love of the Lord our God that we are more than conquerors. Think about that. See, if you're holding on to your parakeet, I pray this would be a day that you tell yourself, 
This is the day to release that anxiety. This is the day to release my worry. Is it going to go away? No, you, if you're a worrier, you're a worrier. But you know where to go with it. You can release it. It's a place that you can go and, and be willing to release that parakeet of worry and just the things that happen in the world. And if you're a parent and you're raising kids, you know what I mean because you just look around at the world and all the challenges it gives to families. But you have to hand that over through prayer and petition. Your Bible might say supplication if you've learned it that way, but it's the same thing. That we petition God, we pray, we say, this is important to me. I come to you for the right reasons. Give me some direction. Help me understand what it is I'm supposed to do. How am I supposed to move or not move on this situation? Know, know ahead of time now that when you give it over, It's all, in all likelihood, doubt's going to creep in. If you were to give it over this morning, you'll walk out, you'll go home, you'll have these other, this other stuff that starts spinning around in your head. But know that it, doubt will creep in. Know that it's likely that you'll try to take it back. You'll try to decide, I can control this. This is within my grasp. I'm going to just hang on to my parakeet because I know where that parakeet's at then. But then listen very carefully for clarity. Now, understand, when you put that out there and say, God, I want you to do something in my life. I want you to take care of something for me. I want to release this to you. Then are we really willing to accept that when it comes at us? But then we look for that clarity that God will give us concerning this. In your seat, you have a piece of paper. Now, there are what I'll call buckets. Actually, somebody straightened me out. These are mix Karen's mixing bowls up here, okay? But they're nice. They're like stainless steel and stuff, so they're very appropriate for the occasion. Whatever you put in them isn't going to hurt them. It's not going to disturb them. But what I want you to do is I want you to take that piece of paper, and if you're somebody today, if you sit here today, and, and you, there's anxiety, there's fear, maybe it's just a big decision you're trying to make. I want you to make a, a note on that, but only do it if you're willing to hand it over to God. If you need to hang on to your parakeet for a while, do not bring it up here and do not put it in this bucket, okay? But if you're ready, in good faith, to say, I got this stuff and I, and I really want to release it. I'm tired of it. It's wearing me out. I have that exhaustion that comes from worry, doubt, despair, and anxiety, and I want to release it. I want it to be out of my life then you write that down. You can sign it or don't sign it. doesn't matter to me. But as John and them come up in just a moment, these, these, these mixing bowls are going to be here for you. And what I want you to do is I want you to take the move to get out of your seat, come up here, and drop it in one of those. What you're doing figuratively, you're saying, Lord, here it is. This is what's in my head. This is what's in my heart. And I'm going to give that to you. Okay, And then we start realizing that we've got this step one. I'm doing step one. Is doubt going to show up? Probably. But I'm going to beat it back because what I'm going to do is I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust the circumstance. I'm going to be willing to be vulnerable to people around us that will help pray for us. But that's what I want you to do as you do that. Eric will 
be here and David will be here or Dennis I mean and, and if you in fact would like to have some prayer at the same time they'll be down here in the front and be available to you to pray with you about that circumstance so again I challenge you if there's things that you that are on that list fear, anxiety, worry things that are just heavy on you right now and you want to give them to the Lord it's a great day to do that